coming up on episode 289 of Wheel Bearings. We've got a bunch of stuff for you, including the GMC Hummer EV Edition 1, the Kia EV6 GT, the Mazda CX-50. Uh, is the Cybertruck going to be dead in the water? Uh, some details on the sensors for GM's Ultra Cruise, Ford Mustang infotainment system, and a whole bunch more. All that coming up next. <laughs> This is episode 289 of Wheel Bearings. I am Sam Abul Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakeland, and we will go with uh, Sports Car Market Magazine this week. Well, that's a good one. I know. Yeah, I've had it for a while. I just don't think I say that one. I do interviews for them with really cool people. It's fun. Cool. Yeah. Uh, who am I? Oh, yeah. I am Roberto Baldwin, and this week I'll be with uh, Engadget. I did a video for them this week, right? That counts. Yeah, did you? Uh, Oh, I did the Tesla thing. That's what. <laughs> oh. What on the investor day? No, no, God. I went and did, I tested the uh, the charging network. Oh, that yeah, on the BMW IX. Right? Yes. Yeah, I drove two hours, two hours up to Placerville to test out a charging thing in Jiggy. Okay. As is my well, um, why don't you why don't you start, Nicole? Oh, I start. Okay, I have. Um, the 2023 Mazda CX-50, which is brand spanking new, like totally new, not like an all new this year, but like all newy new. It didn't exist until 2023. So this is, I don't know, crossover number 852,999 to join the vehicle marketplace, I think, roughly. At, at least, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, at least in the in the compact segment. Yes. Yeah, then, then there's mid-size and full-size. But. Right, uh, which would make the number higher. Yes. Um, <laughs> so many crossovers. So many crossovers. But the first thing, I, I just want to say this again because it's so true. Mazda makes the single most beautiful red paint of any automaker everywhere. I love the red paint. This is that. It's what is so it? nice that Tesla is trying to copy it with their got, latest thing. I looked at it. I'm like, oh, they saw Mazda's red paint. They heard Paul it talking like about it. It's, it's so red, crystal metallic. What it is is just gorgeous. I feel like everybody else should just give up and pay it's Mazda a premium. They should just call yeah, it Mazda just license, Red. Just yeah. license Mazda's paint. Like, I would like Mazda Red on my F-150. Sure, here you go. Mazda Red F-150. <laughs> like, it should be available on everything. It's so stinking pretty. So I have this. It's a compact crossover. So it's not super large. I mean, it's not something you're going to want to put your family in. You can seat five people, kind of. I feel like you can seat four people. <laughs> well, there's five seat belts. There's five, five, seat belts. five seat belts. Um, I don't know how you would, I honestly, three people, I think in the back seat of that would be impossible. Three Robbies in the back seat of that. Absolutely not. No, Never in a million years. No. Uh, so it's, it's really for it's, you know, it's got enough room for three in the back and it has seat belts for three, but you want to keep it to two unless it's just for about 30 seconds that you're all driving. Um, standard all-wheel drive, which is nice. So it's good for snow, um, which I got to drive it in a little bit of mucky weather here, which was kind of nice and it handled just fine in the snow. It has a typical Mazda interior. This is the, let's see, blah, 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 premium plus package. So I think I'm pretty high on the lineup. It's got some extra stuff on it, but they just do such pretty interiors. In addition to having the single best red paint on the entire planet, they do some very premium looking interiors. Like the one I have is $44,170. But when you look at the leather seats and all the little accent stitching and how they've done it, you would swear you were looking at a far more expensive car. They really do a fabulous interior. It's very comfy. A uh, six foot three husband had no issues with it. He had plenty of room for his for his legs without being totally squished. But as soon as he has enough room though, like I said, that back seat is just not really big. So if he pushes that back seat 
at a comfortable spot for him, you're going to be hard pressed to sit behind him. It's very, it, it's snug. Uh, two six foot people are not sitting in behind each other in front of each other. They're not going to do that. It'd be, it would be awful. As far as power, it is a 2.5 liter twin scroll turbocharger. Uh, that's 227 HP, 310 pound feet. Uh, that's a pretty good amount of power. This isn't a very, this isn't a tiny, you know, a big car. It's relatively small. Um, when you're pressing the gas, it goes, it really, you know, it has a lot of oomph, good amount of oomph, um, nice and zippy. Uh, it is a little bit noisy though. When you, when you're really accelerating hard, there's a, you get a little bit of engine noise. Like, I know you kind of want to hear an engine to a certain point. It's like, Ooh, cool engine. But this one gets a little bit whiny. Like it, yeah, it's a little too much. It it could stand to be a little, maybe like a little more sound deadening between me and the engine would be a good idea. Um, and it has a six-speed automatic that's nice and smooth. I mean, it's it has that very Mazda, you know, decent, good amount of power, shifts smoothly that you would expect. It's just a little bit noisy. And the handling is great. I mean, really, as, as crossovers go, crossovers aren't known, especially small ones, for necessarily being these really fun, sporty things to drive. But again, Mazda. So it has very athletic handling. Um, it's great in the corners. It's, you know, if you're if you're trying to navigate in between like heavy highway traffic and, you know, there's, it, it just, it stays very composed. You always feel very in control. Uh, I like driving this. It's very, very fun. Um, it has all the cool little features that I love in the freezing cold. Like there's heated seats and a heated steering wheel. And I need to comment that heated steering wheel, they're not messing around. I mean, it's not, I feel like heated steering wheel is underselling it. It's like molten lava steering wheel available. Like it gets so hot, which is not a bad thing. I'm like, oh, I love this. It's so warm. So it is very- You want it to get hot really quick. So you put it, you put it on molten lava and then you back it off a little to like pot at home. Right. You just want to take it from, yeah, from molten lava down one step. Yeah. To like teapot on the stove. Yeah. Um, so I loved how warm it was though. Cause my hands are always cold. Um, you can even, I thought it was going to, you can tow 3,500 pounds in this, which isn't a huge amount, but I somehow it's so, it looks so small because it's got that very sporty, you know, it's got that very sporty, sleek styling. It has that sports car ish styling in my head. It doesn't look like it should really be able to tow. And again, 3,500 pounds. There you go. Uh, Take more cycles out somewhere. Yeah, exactly. If I knew how to drive a motorcycle a boat and, or a boat, a boat. jet and, ski, and, and, and you guys, it has a touch screen for a Mazda. Yay! <laughs> okay. So there's a 10.25 inch color screen and you can touch it. There's still the wonky dial that I hate that I will always hate. Everybody's wrong, but me, I hate that dial, uh, but it does have a touch screen, which I love. But the only thing that's kind of weird is it's like, it's designed to not have a touch screen. So it's set very far back sort of on the dashboard. Like uh, it's really back there. Yeah. So if you put your fingertips touching the touch screen, it's like your wrist almost like straight out. Your wrist is what's hitting the edge of the dashboard. So it's a good like hand length inside the dashboard. I'm like, I don't care. I'm touching that dang screen. So um, it does have a touch screen, which is, which makes me very, very happy because I, I, I can't, I can't you guys with a controller. I just can't, can't. And I'm driving the CX 90. Am I in the right car? CX 90 shortly. And I'm like, it's going to have that wonky controller again. Grumble, 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 grumble. So. Rubble, rubble, rubble. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's the, the Mazda CX-50. I, you know, I really like this. I think it's a good addition to the, to the marketplace. You know, there's, there are so many choices, but I think what differentiates this is it does again, that for that price, 44170 you get an interior that looks 
like you should have paid more than that. It's a really slick interior and it does have really nice sporty handling that makes driving this little crossover fun. It feels less like crossover, more like little, like, you know, sedan ish in terms of how well it handles. So I like it. Wait, I forgot. Um, and not what, what's the number we always guess. Oh my God. Destination. Oh, uh, 1100, 995. Oh, Robbie wins. 1275. Yeah. So 1275. So it is one of the higher ones. So yeah. So that's the Mazda CX 50. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Baldwin, you're up. I drove the whoops. Somehow I just, I just deleted it. Is is the whoops an up and coming new EV brand? I don't know how that happened. (laughs) I drove the, uh, the, the Kia EV six GT. The fast, ridiculous, um, station wagon. They're going to keep calling the crossover small SUV or whatever. It's a station wagon. It's a dope station wagon. And so, so the problem with the EV six GT is that the EV six is good already. Like you just get the EV, like, oh, this is a fun car to drive. It's got plenty of power. It's got lots of room. It's like all the things that you want from a car, the EV6 like delivers. And they're like, wait, wait, but what if it can outrun Lamborghinis? <laughs> what? No, no, no. Stick, stay with me here. Stay with me here. <laughs> and so that's what it feels like with the, like someone at Q is like, hey, guys, you're looking around. What if we outran some Lamborghinis? And what if we kept like up, you know, almost. Uh, we we just barely lost to a McLaren. What if we, you know, it's just like, it's like, it's like, you, like you envision them like sitting around a table after they've had a couple of drinks on a Friday night in a bar, going, guys, 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 wait, we can do this, and then we did it. <laughs> guess what I figured out? If we just tweak this and we change some of the suspension, and we add bigger brakes, we can do this. We can do this. <laughs> we can do this. And so yeah, so I, I had the EV6 GT, and so I reviewed it for Ars Technica, and I did a like a different type of review other than rather than just saying hey this is what it is this is what you know it goes faster it does this you know is it worth it or is it not worth it based on price blah 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 i tried to decide is it worth the extra time because there's there there's the m's the bmw m series the amg the mercedes bms amg you're going to pay it up you're paying a premium for a quicker better car is essentially mm-hmm. and so, and so like, okay well that's yeah fine you're going to pay more if you want the ev6 gt what the difference between those vehicles though is with a you know let's say a, an m2 it's yes it's not as efficient but getting gas is really easy <laughs> <laughs> gas stations are everywhere you know you just put in gas it's you know matter no matter where you go gas usually comes out at the same rate as as it does up the street you know Charging though is is it's they're not charging everywhere. <laughs> they're uh, you know sometimes you go to charging stations and they're not great. Um, and so what I try to do is I try to figure out um, like what is the difference in charging on a 400 mile uh, trip with an EV6 GT versus a regular EV6, both the wind and the GT line. Which again that's a whole weird thing. And I found out that if you're doing a 400 mile trip. It is, what's the, oh my God, where's the stupid times? I do all this math and now all I have is the number in my brain. <laughs> um, it's under math. Oh, it's a Saturday uh, it's, night, no math. Yeah, it's uh, 10 minutes. Oh, okay, so if you're going between the, it's 10 minutes more if you're using the EV6 GT. If, you, if you're lucky and you can get 200 kilowatts, and that's what I kept getting whenever I took this, this car out, I was either giving above that or getting 200. 
again, that's but but of course, so so if you're thinking about it in terms of how much fun, and I talked about how time flies and you're having fun and all the studies they've done about that and how that works and versus boredom of sitting where time seems to elongate. And so the whole thing came down to if you're cool with 11 minutes of extra charging, the EV6 GT is totally worth it. It's a fun car. It's fun to drive um, versus the GT line. It's, it's only like $5,000 more. It's, you know, like when you think about it value wise, if you're an enthusiast, it's a go for it. But then I have to bring it all the way back to that if that and that comes down to charging. <laughs> and the problem is like yes, the, the the car will charge it up to 240 kilowatts. Um I I kept seeing 200 kilowatts. I got 240 a few times, 230, but I kept getting 200 kilowatts when I took the car in to, to charge. Yes. And so that's what I end up using. But that doesn't mean everyone's gonna get 200 kilowatts. So you have to like take all this other thing, all these other things into account when you're looking at EVs, especially these performance EVs or these EVs with these giant batteries, you know, the Hummer, the, the, the F-150. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you know, if you're taking, if you had to take the, the charging network in near your, your house, especially when you have these, these big batteries, or if you're using these enthusiast cars, you have to like, sort of like, yes, in theory, everything should be perfect or it should be great. But in practice, it might not be so. <laughs> it might not be so great because you might end up, you know, these ex these these extra that ten minutes of extra time that you have to stop and charge, and might end up being forty five minutes. It might end up being an hour on a four hundred mm -hmm. mile trip, which you're just like, ah, uh, uh, uh. so then you have to really think. So so, so the bottom line is EV6 GT. It's a great car. Can you take it on road trips? Yes. Um, is it going to take longer? Yes, it's going to take longer. But if you're somebody who enjoys an enthusiast car, you're, it, it's more than likely going to be perfect unless <laughs> you start hitting a series of charging stations that are just messed up. I, I took um, – I did another thing. Gee, with I don't the, know what that's like at all. Exactly. I don't what, know what not you're with talking a, about. Not with a Kia EV6 anyway. Never I, experienced anything like that ever, yeah. Robbie. You're full what? of it. <laughs> so I so so it's uh, only in California where it's a problem. I know. Uh, earlier this week, this uh, the same this whoop this past week, I also took the BMW iX to a Tesla charging station way up in Placerville because there's only like two of them in the Bay Area that support non-Tesla. There's only like eight in the country, um, but there's two in the Bay Area, sort not even in the Bay Area, two near the Bay Area that support uh, charging of non-EVs. And on the way there, because I was going to a new charging station. From a company that's you know typically doesn't charge i was like what if i get there and it doesn't work and now i'm hosed so i'd be like oh <laughs> you know what i'm gonna stop at the eea station near my house and just sort of top up the car because it was like at 60 percent you know throw up to, to 80. i got there and it was charging at eight kilowatts <laughs> could, that was that was on the old chargers right no well yeah but no yeah. it's on the old chargers the one it was a 150 but i was like i can charge faster at my house <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up driving, you know, further, and I still had a little bit of paranoia. So before I got there, I stopped at another EA station. It was like 130 or 137 or whatever. It ended up like going faster. Eight. I don't remember. It was it was faster than eight. And then when I got to the the Tesla one, it was like one. It was like pretty steady about 130 the entire time, which just shows that Tesla knows what they're doing when they're making charging stations. Pretty much. At that point, who knows? I could have gone back the next day and got eight kilowatts at the Tesla charging station. <laughs> 
So long wow. story short, uh, EV6 GT, it's a great car if you're an enthusiast. Um, it's very fast. It's very powerful. I drove around on, in GT mode the entire time when I was doing the test for this thing. I got like, I believe it was 2.6 uh, miles per kilowatt hour. Let me look. Hold on. I've been doing so much math. There math, we go. Math, 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 like versus my regular, like 100 mile loop, which, you know, you're not, I'm just driving as a regular person where I got 3.1 uh, miles per kilowatt hour. I got 2.6 when I put it in GT mode. So it's just, you know, like half a, a mile a kilowatt hour you're losing, but that's, you know, that's not so bad. I mean, the cars are still pretty efficient. Um, but I definitely destroyed like that 206 mile range. Um, I think I got it down to like 192 was the the range I was going to get if I continued to drive like a crazy person. But it was the, worth <laughs> it for the fun. It was worth it for the fun because I drove the site. You know, I drove up to Northern California. Mm-hmm. You know, the roads are all windy and there's some you know some straights and the roads are you know in pretty good condition because you know tourism. And it's just like you know, it's just a great fun car to sort of drive around, and I had a good time and. That's really what it comes down to. If you want a car, you know, have a good time, EV6 GT. And if you have a car, you want to like go around town, like you could still take it around town. But if you need a, a more practical car, there's there's others on the road, likely from Hyundai, really, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> practical Hyundai cars. <laughs> practical, yeah. You, you want a practical car that's 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 highly efficient, that charges pretty, that charges quickly when the charging stations are working like they're supposed to in the Hyundai Motor Group. It's hard to, it's hard to argue. Yeah, pretty much. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Well, I had uh, a vehicle that really makes the case for why you absolutely want to have really good, reliable, really fast charging. Uh, and that is that is the, uh, the 2022 Hummer EV Pickup Edition 1. Um, how shall I put this? This thing is ridiculous. It's a Hummer. That's the it's, whole thing. It is like it doesn't matter if it's gas or if it's electric or if it's running on like butterfly farts. It's a Hummer. It's inefficient. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make it. <laughs> butterfly <laughs> farts. I'm going to envision that coming out of the under the hood of a GMC Hummer. <laughs> Little, Little butterfly fart. You know, the, the, the thing as I was driving this thing around. So, uh, you know, I, I got it. And on uh, Friday night. Last week, we had um, a snowstorm that came through, dropped eight inches of wet, heavy snow everywhere. And so Saturday morning, you know, I'm taking this thing out for a drive, you know, bombing around some back roads. And this thing is great, you know, at plowing through anything, you know, because once you get it moving, you know, it's got so much momentum, you know, because, you know, momentum is equal to mass times 
velocity. And, you know, so, you know, if you make either one of those numbers large, you're going to have a lot of momentum. And in this case, um, the mass is extremely large. I, <laughs> I, I took this thing. <laughs> yeah, and keep in mind, okay, this truck is 16 inches shorter than an F-150 Lightning. All right, so it's actually not as long as a Lightning. I took it to a weigh scale. Okay. I stepped out of it, measured the weight, 9,200 pounds. My gosh. Empty. It's totally lightweight. I don't know what you're complaining about. And that's that's without even the optional spare tire. Which you have to like just <laughs> shove in the back. Yeah, because <laughs> you know that because they've you know they've shortened it, it's got the really you know relatively short overhangs, you know, for off-roading, unlike the F-150, which has, you know, it's it's not really set up for off-roading. It's not optimized for that. The F-150 has a spare tire that hangs under the back of the, the bed, um, you know, between the frame rails, just like any any other pickup truck. Um, and the, the Hummer does not, there's not enough room back there between the battery and the rear bumper. So if you, if you want to get the optional spare tire and somebody asked, um, and I think in, the, in the discord or maybe in, um, uh, in Mastodon, you know, how, how big the Jack is. Well, this one didn't come with the spare tire, so it doesn't come with a Jack either. So uh, if you don't order the spare, if you get a flat tire, you're going to have to get roadside assistance. But if Does you it want, give you at least a little, like the little can. Yeah. <laughs> fix a flat. I don't think, they, I don't little... think they even give you that. I didn't see that. Cause the can would have to be like the, yeah, a huge like, can, like the can used for sodas, you yes. know, when you, when you, the canister that you, the CO2 canister <laughs> for soda machines. Cause it, yeah. Cause <laughs> <laughs> the stand, yeah, you know, the standard tires on here are 35 inch all terrain tires, and you can get optional 37s. So these are big tires. Um, but if you want the spare, it you get this rack that goes in the bed that and you put the spare up in there, which means you know you lose you both that visibility and half of your bed space mm -hmm. because it's taken up by this rack. Um, and so and, and you know, I'll I'll put in a link uh to uh uh, the TFL truck guys, because they they've got a Hummer and they've they've got the spare tire rack in the back there. Um, so that's that's one of the one of the many things that's absurd about this thing. Um, you know, it's also while it's shorter than F one fifty Lightning, it's almost seven inches wider. So this is actually the first seven vehicle inches. I've the first vehicle I've ever had that I was actually really thankful for having Super Cruise because at least on the highway. The Super Cruise will keep it centered within those lines, you know, with you know, whatever little margin you've got on either side of it, because it is so wide. It's got to teach you where it needs to go. Like, okay, yeah. I guess this is where so the middle is. Big. It's got the little guides though, right above the the. It has the guides above the fence on the top of the fender. Does it? Does it? Uh, yeah, but it's up so it. tall that it's not really very. Yeah, it doesn't helpful. really matter. Yeah. Never yeah. Mind. Um. So you know, I, I used the Super Cruise when I was driving on the highway. Um, you know, this thing, you know, the visibility out of it is not great. Uh, and you know, it's got the, you know, almost vertical, you know, it's got a short greenhouse, almost vertical windshield. It's fairly far out in front of you. So when you're at a traffic light, you know, you, you have to duck down to, you know, to actually see the lights, um, because you know, it's, it's blocked. Uh, what else, uh, you know, for, for something that's so large, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. It, it, <laughs> I love 
you my mind. Like, I don't know what to but, say about this. I have no, I have so many thoughts, <laughs> but it, but it is ridiculously fast. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's insane, but it also, it's really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. I drove the Hummer EV SUV this week, which I can give no drive impressions over, but I have driven also the truck and um, it's, the truck is an interesting proposition. <laughs> you know, I was, as I was driving this thing around, I was thinking about it and I realized, yeah, you know, I understand why GM did this. You know, when, when, before the original, why? before the original why, Hummer why? Wait, was killed. Wait, 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 wait. You understand why GM did this? Well, why, they, why they revived Hummer as an EV. Oh, okay. Um, you know, when they, when they had the, the old Hummers, you know, they were seen as the symbol of, you know, the anti-green, anti-environmental, you know, they were vandalized by environmental activists and things like that. You know, it was, you know, the big middle finger to everybody that was concerned about the environment and climate change. And so when GM was launching, you know, their new EV platform and Ultium, they said, let's bring back Hummer and make it electric, you know, so that there's no emissions and um, no fuel consumption. Not that there's no energy consumption because there's lots of that, but there's no mm -hmm. fuel consumption. Yeah. And, um, you know, it'll it'll be great. It'll it'll be the symbol of, of GM's transformation into an all electric automaker. We'll take the craziest thing we had that sucked up the most amount of gas and make that the halo car for our EVs. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what they should have done, instead of building what they did, instead of building this big, giant monstrosity, is they should have gone back, you know, back in 2008, before GM went through the bankruptcy and killed the Hummer brand. And uh, at the 2008 Detroit Auto Show, they showed off a concept called the Hummer HX which was kind of a Wrangler sized Hummer. You know, it had the Hummer styling, but it, it was the size of a Wrangler. That's what they should have built. Oh, you know, that would have I think, I think the that reason why they went too far, they went too far. Well, I think, I think the, the reason, <laughs> I think the reason why they built this, because, you know, this thing was approved like late in 2019, right around the time that the Cybertruck was revealed. Oh, and I think GM decided you know what? We got to have something to compete with the Cybertruck, and we got to get it out before the Cybertruck. And they did that. Well, I mean, that's which pretty, does not that's, necessarily that's mean a low that's bar. The thing you really, do. To be <laughs> getting out but, before the Cybertruck now is pretty but, much a low bar, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they did it. They got it into production. I mean, it's, possibly it's, there's vehicles that haven't been announced yet that will also be out before the Cybertruck. Oh, I'm, almost certainly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but you know, so so they got something. You know that's competitive with the Cybertruck and they put it out there in the marketplace. But I think what they, sh what would have been more interesting for GM, you know, especially at this point in time, you know, is instead of this ginormous super truck, they should have built something like the Wrangler slash Bronco to compete with those vehicles. That would have been really but, cool. actually. Yeah. Well, and it would I have been the first electric, you know, real well, like, off-roader. Yeah. I you know when I went to the to the GM to the design facility, what did I write this for? Oh, Ars Technica. It's on Ars Technica. Go look at it there. Um, one of the they they showed us a series of vehicles. One of them was that the little truck that everyone's talked about. But the first vehicle they showed us that was under wraps looked like a very small like un, it was underneath the you know a blanket or a sheet or whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it a blankie. It had its own little blankie. <laughs> um, silk. A <laughs> uh, silk, but it was shaped like a Bronco. It was shaped like a little baby Bronco. And I was like, oh, 
maybe that's it. Maybe maybe, maybe that's, that's the electric Hummer. Hummer HX. Oh, then they showed us another Hummer. Like, yeah, I also talked about that. They showed us a little Hummer truck. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, but at, at any rate, that's the kind of vehicle that GM should have built instead of this monstrosity, because this thing. It's a lot. Yeah, got <laughs> it's a one point one miles a... per kilowatt hour. One point one, <sighs> and a you know a bolt does four miles per kilowatt hour. <laughs> one point yeah. one. Yeah. One point one. But it does have some cool features. I mean, having all those cameras around, you can switch it's the camera, camera modes. Yeah, I, mean, I was driving. Walk. I was bombing down this snow-covered, you know, eight, you know, back road, you know, covered in eight inches of snow. Um, and turn on the um, the underbody camera, you know, so I could see the snow splattering up on the bottom of it, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, there's there's some interesting features on here, which of course is why it weighs over nine thousand pounds because they, there's a lot of interesting features. Um, but you know, just as a whole, I I just can't I can't understand this vehicle. It's it's beyond me. Um, but um, uh, what else? Oh, one other thing about it. You know, this is one of the the you know new crop of vehicles that uh, and GM has talked about this, where they're using um, Unreal Engine to do the graphics on the infotainment screen and the instrument cluster. Um, and what that does, you know, it's it's a gaming engine. It allows them allows the designers to um, have 3D graphics on the screen, you know, that are rendered in real time. So unlike, you know, older infotainment systems, you know, all those animations when it's switching modes, those things are all pre-rendered and they're they're fixed, you know, so there's a limited number of them that are preloaded in memory on the infotainment system. And when you're switching modes, it, you know, it goes to those different modes. It's a cutscene. Yeah. It's a cutscene. I call exactly. them cutscenes. They where, look like cutscenes. That's really yeah. what they look like. Where, whereas, you know, with Unreal Engine, you know, it's rendered in real time, you know, as you as you swipe around and do different things. And it looks really cool. But I'm not convinced it actually is useful or do, it makes it, anything better. It's cool for for you as the owner for like a week. Yeah, and it's cool for every time your friend gets in the car and you show that show the film. Look at this. But, it, at but this. it slows stuff down. You know, like chain, swiping through screens is slower. It yeah, but because it looks, it's got to render all that stuff. But it looks cool, Sam. It looks cool. It is. It is like okay. this. Cool. Look at look what we can look at all the insane things we can do. Mm-hmm. All right, now we're gonna go Unreal out and make engine. some real car. Now we're gonna well, make the lyric. Now we're gonna make the you know the, the we'll, we'll, like we'll come. We'll come back to doing using Unreal Engine for uh, for an infotainment system a little later when we talk about the Mustang. But that's that's one thing. Yeah, you know, that's another thing that they had on here. You know, overall, you know, this thing does what it's advertised to do, um, and does it pretty well. Uh, it's you know, ridiculous. It take, What's it supposed to be ridiculous? <laughs> yes, and it does that really, really well. Um, I love it. What's our goal here, guys? Build ridiculous mission completion. The crowd walk, the the four wheel steering is great. That is really useful. You know, on a big vehicle like that, being able to maneuver around parking lots. Like when you look at it from the outside, and I'm commenting on the truck because I just want to be clear. When you look at it on the outside, it you you think the car is broken. You're like, oh, that can't be good. Something has gone awry with that particular vehicle. And when you're inside, it makes me think about driving on the snow. Like, yeah. you're like, which is what I did. Yeah, it feels I, like I it's it, like it does kind of feel like you're driving on a snow sideways. Right? If you're like, like driving like you straight, and you're just getting right. pushed. 
I, like I, you- I, I put it in crab walk mode and drove sideways down my down my street uh, through the snow because it hadn't been plowed yet. And it was really cool. It was fun. You know, and, and this, you know, that that night before when we had the snowstorm, you know, there was, you know, most of the a lot of the other branches that didn't break during the ice storm the previous week were all, you know, had come down. <laughs> so there was several trees that were blocking oh the road God. and the Hummer had no problem getting around that stuff. It was, you know, it just right through, you know, so, you know, when you're in a situation like that, it, it's great for that. Um, the the addition one, which is, of course, all sold out and, you know, there's other variants coming uh, sometime this year. Uh, the addition one at the time that this one the Monroney was generated for it, uh, which was sometime last year. Uh, it was before they raised the price. Um, the vehicle price was, um, well, actually, the the, you know, the total price came to $110,295. Um, you want to guess what the, um, what the destination was? Well, if we're doing it by weight. <laughs> Nine million dollars. <laughs> I'm going to say $1,300. I'm, I'm. Uh, uh, I'm going to go 12.99. It was actually 15.95, which oh, surprised shit. me. I, wow. I expected it to be more because, you know, Stellantis charges 2000 now for, you know, most of their big trucks and SUVs. And given how heavy this thing is, I figured that they would tack on a, an extra destination, extra large destination Little charge, extra. but they didn't. Um, the no options on this thing, you know, everything, you know, on the addition one, everything, you know, almost everything, everything is standard. Yeah. There's only a few options. There's, you know, things like the the 37 inch wheels, the spare tires, but, um, you know, all the other stuff is there. It's got three motors um, with, um, you know, thousand horsepower, 1200 foot pounds of torque. Um, I did take it to my EA station to charge it. Um, and I was coming back from, from a, a lunch meeting in Dearborn. Um, and, um, so I, I set it and set the, uh, um, the navigation to guide me to that EA station and had the preconditioning, the battery preconditioning come on. So it would warm up the battery by the time I got there, um, got, to, got there and four or three of the six chargers were in use. Um, and you know, it's that station now has the, the brand new chargers, but they're, they they have two different versions of the 350 kilowatt chargers at EA now when they're putting in these new ones. They've got ones that have dedicated 350 kilowatts uh, each, and then they have ones that are balanced. So it it's split between pairs of chargers. So it's one. And so when I first plugged it in, I was only getting about 170, 175, uh, and then somebody left, uh, and then it eventually got up to 240 kilowatts. But when you've got 212 kilowatts kilowatt hours of battery pack at two, even at 240 kilowatts, it takes a while to charge that thing. You know, yeah. It was saying it was going to be like two hours <laughs> to go from 14% to, to full or two and a half hours. Uh, so I, I charged it up to about 60% there uh, and then went home and plugged it in and, and set it to charge, finish charging overnight uh, so that it would be charged when the guys came to pick it up the next day. Um, but uh you know, you, you absolutely need the 350 kilowatt charging or, you know, and if you're, if you're, you know, charging it at home, you would probably want to make the investment in getting a 19 kilowatt charger, um, for this thing. Oh my gosh. Charger. So you have to get, it, it like, depends, it depends how much you drive it. Yeah. That would be an 80 amp charger. So you have to get an 80, it's safe to put an 80 amp thing into your house. Otherwise, on a 9.6 kilowatt. Amp. 
Wait, if, so you need a hundred amp because you want to be twenty percent higher. Yeah, yeah, you need a hundred amp oh. circuit. So you need a hundred wow. amp circuit. So double these, double what I put in in my yeah. house. We put in a fifty amp circuit for forty. So you'd have to put a hundred amp circuit in. Whew. Now that that assumes yeah. that you're you're driving it. You know, using most of the charge, a it, lot of it's all the time, every day, every day, which most people don't, yeah. you know, if you're driving 30, 40, 50 miles a day, a 9.6 kilowatt charger is going to be fine. And you'll, you'll get it topped up every night. Um, and you, you get about 329 miles of range on a full charge um, under ideal conditions. It was cold, you know, it was right around freezing and we had lots of snow when I was driving it around. So I was only getting... I think it came out to about 250 miles or so, which is actually pretty good because uh, I had the heat on um, and, you know, to, you know, to keep it at a reasonable temperature. Uh, so it, it it was it was quite good. But another thing to keep in mind, because this thing is so tall, it's also it's quite tall. Did I mention it's tall? Um, <laughs> when you have eight inches of snow on there. You, you almost need to get a ladder or a step stool to get up, and you want to have a really long snow brush, um, an ice oh, scraper. Oh, so you can scrape, so they can scrape the windshield because it's yes, like because seven miles you, across. For for some reason, you know, when they deliver, you know, when the when when the fleets when they deliver the cars to us, you know, here around here, they always have a snow brush and an ice scraper in, in the car. Um, but in this one, they didn't put one of those extra long ones. They just had a standard sized one, like the little, like the ones like this big, like like yeah, this. a little little bit bigger than that. You know, probably little, about twenty four inch. Yeah, you, know, you need the was, big like yeah, that has like extra buses on attached yeah. to it. Uh, you gotta so use all this. You gotta was, use all this. <laughs> like a fulcrum to like. <laughs> and you know, when you got eight inches of snow stacked up on the roof, you know, then <sighs> you don't you don't want that falling off. Yeah. It kills um, <laughs> Because I, I actually, um, I figured, okay, I'll, you know, I'm not going to clear off the roof. I can't reach that right now. So I, I started to go and I stopped, and the snow slid off the roof onto the hood, <laughs> and so then I had to br- get out and brush it off the hood again. So what, what you have to do is you have to get in the car, warm it up, so that the 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 roof gets warm. And then you have to use Watts to Freedom, so it all just goes in the in Oosh, the bed of the truck. There you go. Watch the freedom right out of your driveway. Right, thousand right horsepower, of zero to sixty in three seconds out of your driveway. But you only need to do it for like one second. You just need to do it for like half a block. Yeah, you just you call your neighbors, tell them to warn warn your neighbors to keep <laughs> the children inside, <laughs> lock the doors. Uh, all right. So that's the uh, the Hummer EV pickup, um, which I would never buy something like this. You know. I, you know, I, I see this thing as something that um, those who might feel a little, little bit inadequate in some respects would, <laughs> would want this to reinforce their self-esteem. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly, uh, Sam. It is the, and, and it only has 1,200 pounds of payload oh. and 7,500 pounds of towing because it's so heavy. You know, you can, still pick up, you can still pick up uh, your mulch. That's all you really... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Still pick up mulch. It, it does have the multiflex Wait. tailgate, so you know it's a little easier to step up into it. So that that helps. How much? Yeah, and you can lower the air springs down, so it's not quite so ridiculously high. So it's twelve hundred pounds of payload. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Just get a Maverick. It does fifteen hundred. Yeah. Well, I was, <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna, I was That's gonna try the and answer get a all the time. I was there's there's get two a answers now. There's, it's Miata or Maverick. That's yeah. It. <laughs> I was gonna try and get a picture with my neighbor's Maverick. You know, they have. A base, you know, twenty thousand dollar base XL 
hybrid nice. Maverick, uh, and put that next to uh, the Hummer and say, you know, which one of these pickup trucks has more payload capacity? <laughs> and it's actually the, it's actually the Maverick. It's actually the little, little old Maverick. It's also little the Maverick's Maverick. more efficient too. They oh, they someone did a whole efficient. thing where it's more efficient. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, enough of my complaining about the Hummer. <laughs> It's these are I don't think they're complaints. I think this is what the truck it's is. Valid, yeah. 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 These are this this is what it is. Yeah. If you are cool with all that, there you go. It's there. It's be I mean, fine. It, oh, it, I'd rather I you buy say. like an electric Hummer than like a gas Hummer that gets like three miles to the gallon. Three. I think you're being gener- generous, isn't it? Point, I'm trying to be point nice three, person. maybe. <laughs> point three miles and per it, gallon. There, there's you know when you factor in you know the unused part of the battery because there's some buffer that's that's not used. This thing has about four times as much battery as a bolt. So Jesus, you could, really? for one of these, you could build four bolts. But is the bolt even close to as fun as a GMC Hummer pickup? Oh, there you, you guys go. Have to pause. It's not. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not. not. No, the, the, the Hummer is, is ridiculous in so many ways. You're driving, yeah. you're like, I would never own this, but this is really fun to drive. This is <laughs> yeah. so cool. Is this and it actually cool? has surprisingly, surprisingly comfortable ride quality. Yeah, because of the the air springs and everything, it's it's actually pretty decent. And I didn't get any flats from hitting potholes. So yeah, that's, that's true because you know, it's bigger than thirty five inch it, tires. You can hit potholes and and not worry about blowing them out. You probably doubled the size of each pothole as you hit it, but you were fine. Well, likely. First... <laughs> double the size of it. <laughs> Every pothole you hit, you destroyed. Kablam! Kablam! <laughs> All right, um, let's let's talk a little bit about the Cybertruck, um, since that's oh, not here yet. Cybertruck. Um, so Adam Jonas is, uh, is an analyst with Morgan Stanley. Uh, he's a financial analyst and he's always been, you know, one of the, the cheerleaders for Tesla. You know, he, he's been one of those wall street guys that has, you know, come up with models for why Tesla should be valued at, you know, upwards of a trillion dollars. Um, and you know, a lot of that is a lot of the, his model is based on, the idea that you know Tesla is going to generate these enormous revenues from its robo taxi business, um, which they have yet to do. Um, and uh, this <laughs> week, um, he put out uh, a note, a research note to uh, to Morgan Stanley clients, uh, basically saying that you know the the Cybertruck is more likely to be what he called a cult car than a real high volume uh vehicle you know there's basically it's not going to be competing with the f-150 or silverado or ram no. um he expects that you know the volumes even even though know, even though you know tesla's claiming they've got more than a million reservations for this thing he expects the volumes are going to be closer to about fifty thousand units a year at most um, yeah i mean it's, is, it's not a it's not know. i don't think but i don't think anybody ever really thought it was i mean did anybody really think this well was tesla be a, did <laughs> tesla did and a lot did? of tesla fanboys did tesla like I, elon musk at the thing was pretty much like this is gonna like be and you're just like is it, i think and i think there that to me tesla the concern about the f-150 shouldn't they shouldn't have been they should have been concerned about rivian because that's just yeah. the same sort of like I want this like cool sort of venture truck. It's not from you know an established player. Rivian is real. The R1T is really the Cybertruck's main competitor, as far as I'm concerned. And it's well, out. I mean, actually, yeah. you know, I think I think the you know the 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 real competition for Rivian, you know, for the for the R1T is actually the Jeep Gladiator. 
because oh, yeah. it, it's actually, size. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's almost exactly the same size as a gladiator. It's like within an inch or so in all dimensions for a gladiator. Um, and it's got that kind of off-road capability that you get with a gladiator. And, you know, for the R1S, for the SUV, it's going to be something, you know, more like, you know, uh, a Grand Cherokee or a Range Rover. You know, uh, those, you know, those are going to be your, your competition, you know, at the, at the, you know, the premium end of, of those, uh, those vehicles, that's the competition there. You know, I mean, the, the closest thing that the Cybertruck's going to have to competition, I think, is that Hummer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can do, well, yeah, you can throw things over the side. I wrote a big thing about how the Cybertruck isn't really for truck people. No, the long, like, oh no, one, absolutely right not. Right when it came out, on like a million years ago, I'm like first of all, you, you can't throw things over the side. There's like all these things. It's it's just like an incredibly crazy thing, which I'm like, and at the time I was like, you know what, crazy, fun, weird things. The more people make them, the happier I am. Um, it's just I don't know how they're gonna build it. Still. <laughs> it's just the, the whole thing. It's just like and. They should just be happy with fifty thousand, especially because how difficult it's going to be able to build this thing at scale. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and you know, there there were some photos that came out this week. Uh, Hans uh, Franz van Holthausen, the uh, head of design at uh, Tesla, uh, posted a couple of pictures with the uh, you know, him standing next to the Cybertruck uh, prototype, and uh, the Verge did a, a story on this because they noticed. You know, this one's got the, uh, you know, got a windshield wiper on it and you can see, you know, where it's, you know, cause this thing's obviously been driving around in the dirt and, you know, so the windshield's all dirty, but you can see where the swept area of the windshield wiper is. And even with this enormous wiper blade, you know, it's like a three and a half foot long wiper blade. You can see that nearly a quarter of the windshield is not swept at all. Yeah, the, the top, yeah, the top right <laughs> side by the yeah. passenger. It's uh, I've talked yeah. to a lot of former Tesla employees, and a lot of them are like, uh, Elon doesn't know what he's talking about with cars. He's just not a car guy. He just has like these crazy ideas. And if you have the team that can pull off like most of the ideas and sort of like pretend the other ones he didn't tell you. You could do a good job, but sometimes I think the Cybertruck was like, "No, you have to do all these things," and they were just like, "Okay, all right, we'll figure something out. We'll figure <laughs> something out." I, I, it's you know, it's a niche car. It's 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 it'll. I don't know. I think there's people talking about like, "Oh, it's got air suspension. You can jump it." I'm like, "No, you can't." Look at the travel. <laughs> the travel thing. You're gonna like shove those wheels right into those fenders, and you're gonna people are gonna hurt themselves. I think I'm you know if. if if you want to buy a Cybertruck, cool, good for you. If you want to sell a Cybertruck, cool, good for you. Um, but I think you need to be realistic with its capabilities. And that's, you know. Yeah, and, and Jonas, in his note, um, in his research note, is a quote here from it. He says, we regularly speak with clients who believe Tesla may sell hundreds of thousands of Cybertrucks annually, uh, said uh, Jonas, after visiting Tesla's fact, Texas factory, where the pickup will go into production later this year. We think it will more likely be an enthusiast cult car with far more limited volume, closer to fifty thousand units. Because mm. you know, I mean, you, when you consider a lot of trucks, a lot of pick, full-size pickup trucks are sold to commercial users, and they mm. do stuff with them. You know, they they need to, you know, they they put racks in there for their tools and their equipment, and uh, you know, th that's stuff that, that's not yeah, that's not going to fit in this thing. 
Yeah, you, this is not a. This is definitely not a business truck in any sense of the word. No, <laughs> no not at all. Maybe the foreman gets one. He doesn't actually use it to like haul anything, or maybe the boss gets one. But he's not. He, he the, this person is definitely not going to buy them for the fleet. They're going to no. get a bunch of F one fifties. They're going to get a bunch of Silverados. They're going to get a bunch of Tacomas. They're they're not buying. Yeah, or Mavericks. I've been seeing a lot of Maverick uh, mm -hmm. um, fleet trucks um, yeah. recently. Um, but yeah, you're. It's 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 the cyber truck. It's <laughs> just let it go. It's the cyber truck. It is what it is, right? You're not going to sell a lot of them. A lot of people got very excited, and then this time ago, and the fact that they it's taken so long means a lot of people have had a had a chance to sort of sit and think about what they're buying, and be like, you know what, I'm going to get a this instead, or I'm going to get you know what, this isn't really going to work for me, or and then there's people who they, they want a crazy looking car, and you know, there you go. <laughs> Get the crazy, get the crazy. If you want to be the crazy person with the crazy car on your, your block, get the Cybertruck <laughs> or the, or the Hummer. Or the get, Hummer, get, either one. Yeah, get the Hummer, get the Cybertruck, be the crazy person. Be the crazy be the you crazy want to see person. in the world. <laughs> uh, uh, well, let's, st let's stick with Tesla for a couple more things here. Okay. Um, yeah. There was another crash recently in the Bay area with, um, with a Tesla that ran into a stationary fire truck. Um, most of the, most of the, I think there's been like 14 or 15 previous crashes of Tesla's running into uh, stationary emergency vehicles while running on autopilot or FSD that um, the national highway traffic safety administration is investigating. This is the first one where somebody has actually died and several of the firefighters were actually injured as well, along with the oh, passenger. Wow in the vehicle. And so I just want to remind everybody that, you know, there are no vehicles that you can buy today from any manufacturer, including Tesla, that are capable of driving without your supervision. So, you know, keep your keep your eyes on the road, hands on the wheel, you know, in, the, in most cases, uh, and be ready to take control if necessary. Um, you know, you know, if you see an emergency vehicle, you know, slow down, pull over, you know, to the, the next lane, you know, give them, give them, give them some extra room because if there's an emergency vehicle out there, there's probably, you know, crews out there doing something. Yeah. Um, Turn off and, your ADAS system. If you're yes. coming up, up to an, yeah. an accident, tap, tap the brake pedal, slow down, tap the brake, take over, over everything, you know, give, them, give them some room. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you're driving, just, you know, do that. Right. Yeah. Always like regardless yeah. of whether you're in a, and, and it just always pay attention, slow down and yeah, do the right thing there. This is all the crazy weird edge case things. They're like, Oh, like cars can drive themselves. No, they can't because there's all the edge cases and these edge cases happen all the time. When there's I mean, you so have a, many of them, you have a, you know, you have a, a, a fire truck that's parked across three lanes and you have people out, you have firefighters, you have paramedics, you have police and they're out. And some of them are wearing black because they're police and some of them are wearing bright orange because they're fire, you know, they're firefighters and some of them are wearing this and, you know, there's flares and there's debris everywhere. Like, yeah, that's, that's, they, they can, you can, you can sit there and try to simulate that all the time, but every time it's going to be in completely different and completely weird. Yep. And this is why it's so incredibly hard to like make a car that can drive itself. Yep. That's why they still need us. As right. human humans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All We're right. Still a control. So, <laughs> would, would, would you like to be able to uh, rent a two or three bedroom home for 800 bucks a month? Depends on the home. <laughs> Well, let's... I've seen some homes that are 
I mean, let, let's assume that, you know, it's, you know, not rat, roach infested or rat infested and, you know, it's okay. clean and everything works, you know, basic, you know, two or three bedroom house. Would would you, I mean, would you be interested in getting something like that for 800 bucks a month? I mean, I guess I would. So it's a trick. <laughs> I, I feel like, where is this? It's like, okay, you're, you're in the worst possible it's, neighborhood. It's, it's, in, it's in Bastrop, Texas, which is near Austin. Okay. Uh, about 35 miles okay. from Austin. Okay, that would be also okay. Um, but it's it's owned by um, it's owned by Elon Musk, and it's and, it's it's, yeah. it's housing. It's it's worker housing. Yeah, so it's, it's worker like housing. With, like, it's like what the guys used to do with like that, like at Hershey in those places. Remember Hershey had this huge community of housing that it had yeah. for all of its people at Hershey Park back in the day. Yeah, or or uh, was it a uh, like the company store type of thing? But, yeah, for coal like miners. a company store. Yeah, company exactly. Town. All of that. The company yeah. town. Which, yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, because. Boring Company and SpaceX and Tesla are all in Texas now. Um, Musk wants to build a company town uh, in Bastrop County um, and uh, basically control it. Um, you know, and the, apparently the median rents in the area are twenty two hundred bucks a month, but you know they're going to rent out these houses to employees for twenty two or for eight hundred dollars a month. Um, and you know, it's only it's only a thirty minute drive from the Tesla te- from the uh, uh, the Tesla factory near Austin, um, you know, so that, you know, that's nice. Uh, you know, they've, they've apparently bought up 3,500 acres of land in mm-hmm. the area over the last couple of years. Um, but if you either get fired or laid off or you yeah, quit your job, happens. you have 30 days to get out of the house. Oh, yeah. That's 30 a... days to relocate. If you change jobs, that's, yeah, it's tough. That's not ideal. No, it's uh, uh, Facebook floated something like this. Uh, I don't know, five six years ago about having Did they like, really, yeah, like company housing sort of thing. And it was the same thing. We're like, oh, this sounds good because you know if you can get below market, I mean, eight hundred dollars, and if it helps you know the surrounding area, you so you're not in you know increasing rent because you you opened up a factory nearby. You're like, oh, that sounds great until you realize that oh, I am beholden to my boss. Not only am I beholden to this to this to this company for my income. I'm beholding to them for where I live. So if I lose, like, if, yeah, if you get laid off or you get fired or you just like, oh, I want to, you have to like, okay, now what? <laughs> I guess if you figured, if you were like, if you figured it out, like if you're looking for a new job, you could at least plan it and be like, okay, we got to get a new apartment or something. And if you're get, saving a chunk of change, 800 bucks a month is cheap. Okay. Let's look at the yeah. plus side. Super, super cheap. So if you can figure out how to manage if I got laid off tomorrow or fired tomorrow, I have 30 days to find a new place. Theoretically, Robbie, you've tucked away a chunk of change because you haven't been paying market that rates ex- all this time. Yeah, that extra 1200 to $1,400. Right? So if you did that for a year, you've just saved $12,000 plus that you've got in the bank. That could be a great way to... Okay, like, Hopefully. Possibly. You could like buy a house or something. If the longer you did it, the more money you have tucked away. If you just put what you would have put to rent into a little, ch- little savings account. You just tuck away all your money. Or you live in constant fear. <laughs> or you live in constant fear. I mean, it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, enough Enough Tesla and Elon stuff. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Nissan Aria, which uh, Robbie and I are going to be driving on Monday. Monday, uh, Monday, Monday. I go out there to, wait, you're driving in on Monday? When do you fly out? I'm flying out tomorrow. Oh, see you guys there. Oh, you're, you're going to be there too? Yeah. Oh wait. No. Wait a minute. I'm not Aria. I lied. I'm Hornet. Never mind. Wrong okay. Car company. Uh, I'm I'm it. Aria right after. I think. Oh, uh, we're gonna. Been a busy we'll month. Yeah, yeah. It's it's confusing. 
I'm very any, confused. Anyway, N- Nissan, they you know, they actually started selling the the front wheel drive Aria last fall. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, and this is their second major EV release. You know, they were they were kind of like first to market with the Leaf, uh, with with a relatively mainstream EV in late 2010. And then they haven't really released anything else. You know, they've had, you know, some low volume production of a few things like the an electric version of the NV200 van. But this is their their first real mainstream vehicle since the original Leaf. But they haven't they've had a hard time actually building these things and getting them to customers um, for a variety of reasons, um, you know, including chip shortages. Um, they've been having problems with a new production line, a new production uh, facility. Um and all, all kinds of issues. Um, it, you two, you two have both driven the front wheel drive Aria before, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, I drove it in Portugal. Yeah, that sounds right. I drove it in Tennessee <laughs> during a, a a tornado warning. We're like, maybe we should go inside now. Well, see, that's weird because when I was in Portugal, it rained the entire time, and we're going to drive it starting tomorrow. And guess <laughs> I mean, what? It's raining. Weather? Oh my god! It's, it's crazy weather? rainy here. Like really? there's 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 flooding. There's people losing their. It's it's horrible. So are you, is what you're saying is that the Aria is a harbinger of the apocalypse? Is that what maybe. we're going to do? It certainly it's seems really that way. It's <laughs> so nice. The weather inside. apocalypse and the production <laughs> apocalypse. You get inside and you're like, oh, this is such a nice car. Wow, good job, Nissan. <laughs> Why can't they catch a break? <laughs> yeah, apparently production's running at least a third below schedule. Oof. Uh, which is Ooh, not good. Geez. You know, when you're trying to, you're, you know, you they they want to get this thing out there and sell as many of these things as they can. Um, but uh yeah, they're having a lot of issues. So hopefully they'll get <sighs> that sorted out. Yikes. Yeah. All right. Um Ultra Cruise, GM's next generation hands-free driving system. Uh, they announced it in 2021. That sounds right. Yeah, 2021. Oh, and they, they started to trickle out some <laughs> some more details on it. Um, this week, um, they, they released some information about the sensor suite. And we, we already knew that Ultra Cruise was going to have a LiDAR sensor, which is not currently on Super Cruise. Um, because Ultra Cruise is going to be capable of doing the hands-free driving thing on urban and suburban streets and you know, go point to point, kind of like Tesla's navigate on autopilot. Um, it's still going to be geofenced, but it's going to have like two million miles of roads to start with and eventually double that. Um, but um the the sensor suite on this thing is pretty impressive. Um, they've got the a LIDAR sensor, and this is the first. There's a few cars out there with LiDAR, like the Lucid Air, um, Mercedes S-Class and EQS with Drive Pilot. Um, none of, and, and of course, there's the, um, the Volvo EX90 that's coming later this year with the Luminar LiDAR, which is mounted on top of the, the roof, you know, above, above the windshield. And there's several cars in China that have similar type of mounting for the LiDAR up on, up on the roof. Um, but the uh, Cadillac Celestic and the other cars that will follow shortly after with Ultra Cruise will be the first cars that have a LiDAR sensor mounted behind the windshield. So you you mm. don't even see it. Wow. Okay. Um, and, you know, one of the one of the challenges with that, I spoke with the, the CEO of Septon, which is the LiDAR supplier, and also Jason Dittman, who's the chief engineer for Ultra Cruise earlier this week. Um, and, you know, one of the challenges... You know, windshields are usually coated for, with infrared filtering, 
um to uh you know, to keep the solar load you know keep, oh, keep the right. heat build up down but so of course sunburn the the lasers <laughs> the lasers used by lidar are you know they're infrared uh light and so what they had to do was leave a section of the windshield the top center section of the windshield with a different coating with no infrared coating on there so that it didn't um it didn't filter out the laser so it could actually see uh so it could see through the the windshield and then um you know because the the windshield is also angled back at a pretty steep angle they um uh you know they had to septon had to come up with some cool things in their software to filter out the um the photons that are being reflected back off the windshield and only get the stuff that's going out and coming oh. back wow. um so some some interesting challenges they had to deal with but they they say they've got them solved um the uh it's also got seven eight megapixel cameras and for reference most of the the cameras that you find on cars today for adas are 1.2 megapixels so they're pretty low resolution cameras and that's what tesla has 1.2 megapixel cameras uh for autopilot and, and fsd gm's using seven eight megapixel cameras um and they've got seven radar sensors there's four short range sensor radars on the corners and then three um long range um high resolution um imaging radar sensors one in the front and then two on the back um to uh to help detect what's going on around the car so a lot of sensing capability and that's wow. going to mean a, a lot of computing to process all that data i always get a little upset whenever i, I realize what how low the megapixels are on car cameras i'm like why is my phone so much nicer <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> My phone, which costs, you know, I don't know, a thousand bucks, I guess now is the, the going rate for a fancy phone. Um, yeah, that's yeah, about right. $40,000 car. Like, yeah, we got some 1.2, some two megabytes. <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> Do better. I know it's more data, blah, blah, blah. It's more money, but come on. That's my, that's my. Uh... That's your oh. new thing. Come on, people. <laughs> come on. So we'll we'll finally get a chance to try out Ultra Cruise later this year. Um, hopefully, uh, when the when the Celestic comes out, it'll be the first one to have that. Yay! All right, uh, and then the final item uh, yes. for this week is um, the infotainment system on the 2024 Mustang. I had a chance to uh, go play with it in a studio earlier this week um, and uh, record some video, uh, but like the Hummer. And like uh, Rivian uh, and uh, some other vehicles that are coming out, you know, this has got, uh, you know, the, the graphics on the screen. And, you know, this is probably the, the most substantial change to the new Mustang. You know, the design, you know, the new exterior design is kind of revolutionary, evolutionary, but the, the new infotainment system with, you know, these two big screens all under one sheet of glass, you know, 13 inch center screen, center touch screen, 12 inch instrument cluster display. Um, you know, this is a, a pretty fundamental change for the way Mustang interiors look. And they've got, you know, some pretty cool graphics on there using Unreal Engine. But as I was playing around with it, I'm thinking, you know, if you're actually driving this car, which is, you know, it's a Mustang. What you're supposed to do with a Mustang? Yeah. You know, do I really want all of this stuff? You know, it's like keep it simpler. It is a lot of stuff, but everyone likes like it's the thing, like the Unreal Engine thing. It's 
It's graphics. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can, it's you can go around. You can, you can swipe on the on the on the center screen, you know, and rotate the car around and you know, see the the different things, you know, as you change the the lights and you know, other features that show up on there. Yeah, it's it's it looks kind of cool, but you know, it's, it seems like a lot of effort for that's not actually going to be very useful. It's a Mustang. You're just driving a Mustang. That's where you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's. I feel like you. That's not the thing that sells you on a Mustang. <laughs> Wait. So so okay. So my friend had a '67 Mustang, um, and when you put the high beams on, this is back when you had to put the little, the little foot. Remember mm-hmm. the little foot click button on the, the floor? Click, 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 click. Um, the Mustang would there were um, instead of a high beam, it was a picture of the horse, the prancing the the the, the horse, not the prince. Anyway, and it would prancing light up. Horse is a Ferrari. Yeah, that's why I was like, galloping oh, that's wrong. Horse. Galloping <laughs> horse. Um, it would light up like red, and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. And there's probably some sort of like law that says they have to use, you know, the regular high beam thing, but. I remember seeing that and I really wanted to change the the high beam indicator in my my Honda to to a little h because of that. <laughs> so anyway, if yeah. they do, if they bring that back then I get to, it's all worth it to me. And it'll all, be worth it. <laughs> one little thing. If I have the high beam which you rarely use when you're on you don't use it you shouldn't be using it on the highway, you definitely shouldn't like, be using it around town. Um but when you're in the middle of nowhere it's kind of cool. What well, you know I, I was talking to um the the head of interior design or the HMI stuff uh, for this, yeah. And this basically the system that's in here is the same Sync Four system that's been on other Ford and Lincoln cars for the last two three years, um, but it's it's just a, it's a new skin on it. But functionally, it's it's the same system that they've had for a while now, and um, yeah, it's also the same hardware, uh, the same chip that's powering it. They wouldn't say what the chip is that's powering the Sync Four system. It's a secret. Uh, Yeah, there's, you know, you're talking about a lot more graphics processing capability. And at least, you know, in the half hour or so I had to play around with this, it didn't seem to lag at all. But I got a, I got a feeling that that might turn out to be a problem when they get to production. We'll see. Because not everything was working in this pre production software. Yeah. And also, it's a Mustang. Like, figure out where you want to put this. Yeah. <laughs> Make a decision, boys. <laughs> just a Mustang is just, ah, I want to drive fast in a Mustang. Yeah. I want to, like, feel the, you know, I want a manual transmission. And, <sighs> but now I can look at a rotating car. All right, fine. But but you can switch the <laughs> uh, the cluster to show you Fox Body style gauge. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw the Fox Body thing. I'm like, all right, that's cool. And when you turn on the headlights, you know, it switches uh, from uh, from white to green. I mean, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, if he does that, then that's fine. I just guess. just like my 91 L- 5 liter LX did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to run real engine, though, for that. No. <laughs> you could if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, this is all crazy, but there's Fox Body. Like, all right, cool. Fine. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to share, Robbie, about uh, your supercharger experience with the BMW? Um, let me see. It was it was really weird just how easy it was. <laughs> like I got there and I had the app and the app said that I had um carp uh I'm sorry Apple Pay set up, but it it didn't work with Apple Pay, so I had to put a credit card in. That was the biggest pain. Was like oh I have to put a credit card in. Hold on. So I went and did that, but because there's there's no screen or anything on the Tesla superchargers uh, stations, it's just a it's just it's just a little you know a little weird tower thing and then a cable and it plugs into your car and that's it. You do everything with the the app, 
And, you know, I unlocked it and unlocked like it was supposed to. I plugged it in and it just started charging. That's, and, and I That's wouldn't good. look. There was no issues. I didn't have to unplug it and plug it in. I didn't have to do anything weird. And of course, that's this is all anecdotal because I, again, I could show up. You know, I've gone to Electrify America stations where I plugged it in and it worked perfectly. Right. Um, and then I've gone the next day and I plug it in. It's given me eight kilowatts after I unplugged it and plugged it in twice. So, you know, it might they might have issues like uh, everyone else, but uh, you know, at and at a for, for you know for someone doing it the first time. It was just really easy. The problem is that Tesla hasn't made the cables long enough. They went through and they, they, they created this whole like very clever like adapter system where the adapter comes off with yeah, the, the magic dock. Yeah, the magic dock. And it's very clever and it works really nice. Um, they went through and they did that. But the, the cable is still like, you know, like no. three feet long. So I had to park in the wrong parking spot because Tesla has – their their charger port is on the rear left. Well, the BMW I had it was on the rear right. So I had to park in the wrong spot in order oh, to charge no. this vehicle, which meant I was taking up two Tesla charging spots in order to charge a BMW. Dum, dum, which, dum. Exactly, which is a bad scene. For you know, if if that if that charging network had or that charging uh, station had been like v- busy. People would have thrown eggs at you. Yeah, I would have had to like have a conversation with people like, hey, I'm, and, and I would have charged for only a few minutes just for the sake of the video. And I would have said, hey, I only charge for a few minutes because I am being a jerk taking up two spaces. I'm, <laughs> I'm icing out Tesla people with an EV because Tesla didn't make the cable long enough. And so that it's stinks. But you got yeah. 130 kilowatts with it? Yeah, I was getting like 130 and it was it was consistent. It was like 130 to like 126, I think, or 125. Wow. So it was pretty consistent the entire time it was charging. Um, I think I charged up to 70%. I, I, I have to look at the video. You know, I didn't charge all the way. I got enough charge. I'm like, okay, well, I'm good enough to go home. I saw a dog. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to leave. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's interesting that they, you know, they, they really know how to build a charging network. Of course, Again, it's all anecdotal. I mean, I could have shown up with a Lucid and it might not have worked. Or I could have shown up with a Chevy Bolt and it might not have worked. I could have right. shown up with, you know, because now they have to deal with the software for all these different vehicles working with their software. And so, but they, you know, they have a, you know, they have a huge lead over Electrify America mm-hmm. in like making this work, which is good for them. Um, whether or not they can become like a, a real player in this space is really up to them because they have to fix the cables and they have to have it at more than eight charging superchargers in the United States. It's only at eight. In the well, the it's, I, think it's a little more, I think it's, I think it's about 20 now. I appreciate your, your need to be precise. Sam, but it's like eight twenty. Well, forget it. His whole point is invalid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, and, you know, they need it, you know, they have to, it has to, and then the fact that it wasn't in any of the Bay area uh, charging yeah. networks, which there are, they're all over the place up here at this point. Um, because you know, there's a ton of Teslas in the Bay Area. It's yeah. Tesla land. Um, but it's they don't have them here. They don't have any here. And I can sort of see why they want to do that because, you know, like I said in the video, if they if they opened one up near San Francisco, it would be just full of people with just random EVs trying it out because they want to see, like, oh, does this actually work? So you get there with your Tesla. <laughs> And there's a, there's a Mach-E and there's a Bolt and there's a Rivian and there's a Mercedes and there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a Kia and now there's a Hyundai and you're just like, well, I just want to charge my Tesla. And of course you could drive like 10 miles and find another one, 
but you know it's it you know you you they you know they're rolling it out slowly but at least they're rolling it out and if they I mean, can it's better than nothing i guess you know yeah it's better than yeah. nothing and if they continue to roll it out at a nice pace and <laughs> again they fix the cable situation which means rollout's going to be probably longer than people anticipate it's it's a it's a good it, you know it's it's a it's a system that's going to put and and if it works the way I you know I experienced it it's going to put EA EVgo charge points I'll put them on notice that they need to like sort of step up and make sure that their system works and that's that's the whole thing is you if someone is if I'm driving along and I know this charging network's going to work and this one is is my yeah. work I'm going to go yeah, to the one work also it's yeah. more expensive than everywhere else but again. Are you I'm, I'm, are you happy to pay 10, 15 cents more per kilowatt hour? Hey, if no, it works, works right? right? If it works, <laughs> Yahoo. And I think people might. I think there's 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 more than a few people, especially BMW and Mercedes Benz drivers. They don't care. They just want it to work. <laughs> Is that kind of what everybody just wants? You just want it to work. That's really just, just, yeah. just, just want to charge when I need to charge. I don't have to think about it. Exactly. You just want to plug in and get electricity and get on with your trip. Or wherever, go to Target or whatever you do in your life. Go to Target. I just assume everyone just, just goes to Target. Just want to go to Target. Every, every, just, because everybody does go to Target. That's not a wrong well, assumption. Unless you're going you know, Electrify America, then you have to go to Walmart. And then Walmart. Yeah. And they're wonky little, It's they're hard to pull into. They're always like behind trash dumpsters or mm-hmm. doing these like weird <laughs> angles. It's like if you back up too far, you plummet off a cliff. Like they're weirdly positioned. It's like here. Or they're, this, they're like, like that 45 degree angle yeah, one where you're like, what? In, how yeah, do I part? They're like, and you're like, how am I? And then there's like posts protecting things. You're like, so I have two inches of wiggle room to navigate my car into the spot and line up with the charger. On on the other hand, one thing I noticed when I was watching your video, Robbie, is that the casing on that charger that you were charging from was cracked. You know, somebody had. Oh yeah. I was looking at it. I was like looking at it and I was like kind of shaking it. I'm like, well, it's still working. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, that's like up above, (laughs) like a little hole. I was like looking at it. I'm like, huh. Oh, oh, sparks out of there. I guess we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just plastic. It's fine. Yeah. Everything's uh, good. It's all good. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's you know if they can if they can get it together, then it's 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 going to be uh, you know a major player. But if they were like, oh, here's twenty of them, and then nothing comes of it, and it's just these like twenty or maybe they get up to fifty, ooh, then it's you know it's it's <laughs> it's the cyber truck of charging. It's niche. <laughs> it's niche. Yeah. All right. Well, let, um, we've got only one listener comment this week, um, and it uh, it fits with uh, with this conversation. Uh, it's from Jeff D on the Discord. Um, I have a comment about something that talked about in a recent episode. Uh, Nicole and Eileen also talked about it. Uh, EV charging in the cold. Uh, people think that they won't charge in the cold because of a news piece that was everywhere not too long ago about the guy I think in D.C. or maybe Philly that got stranded. Uh, on Christmas Eve, because his Tesla wouldn't charge in the cold after being plugged in for hours. To be fair, extreme cold weather below extreme cold below zero Fahrenheit does make it difficult. Uh, and he's got a reference to uh, out of spec motoring's test of mm-hmm. charging in Colorado in January when it was minus twenty. Yeah. Um, taking the wife out for birthday dinner tonight, so won't be able to listen live. Thanks. Happy Jeff. birthday, Jeff's wife. <laughs> uh, yeah. Happy birthday. Um, so um, yeah, I mean. Uh, you know, I've I think, done I've done cold charging. I assume you have too, Nicole. Yeah, it's the thing is like people thought that like you can't no, you can't do it. And it's like it's not as efficient. It doesn't charge. Yeah. And I guess there's some guy that had a problem with his Tesla. And if it's like 20 below, well, 
that's how often do we have that? How many areas of the country have that for anything other than the rare, we're having a blizzard situation? You know, it's not common. So cold does throttle it back. And I got some emails and some text, not text, uh, direct messages from people who lived in like Canada and places that actually were addressing what he was addressing, you know, after we talked about it. And it's the same thing. Like, yeah, it, it can, it can impact how quickly I charge and how much of a range I get, but nobody ever said like, no, we can't, it doesn't work. It's decided not today. It's yeah. always just, it's gonna, you're not going to get the range that you would get. Things don't function quite the way you would at premium, like the, the perfect functioning that you get when all the conditions are perfect, but you can still charge. So I don't know what happened to the guy in DC or maybe Philly who got stranded. What's this charging box outside? Um, I, I think this was actually, I think it was actually at a Tesla charger. Um, well, you know, no, and, I don't, I mean, charging stations, really that's, I mean, I went to one, the charging station, it was like nice day and I only got eight kilowatts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. See, you don't, so oh it's like, God. it could have been, not, actually, that's true. It could have had nothing to do with the cold if he was at a public yeah. charger. I mean, just ba- battery, batteries, you know, when batteries are cold, they will not charge as fast. They they won't right. accept to charge as fast. And, and you know, um, conversely, they also don't provide power and provide as much power. They don't release energy as fast. That's just a fact of the way batteries work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once the battery warms up, you know, and this is why, you know, more and more vehicles have battery preconditioning built into them, like the, like the Hummer had, uh, the Hyundai Ionic 5 and Kia EV6 and Genesis GV60 have this, where in the navigation, when you put, um, when you put the uh, a, a DC charger in, in as the destination in your navigation, it will turn on preconditioning it'll actually warm up your battery and teslas do this as well i think i think they do um you know to warm up the battery so that it's closer to its optimal temperature when you get to the charging station um and then you can plug in and it'll charge faster but you know when i was charging um the ionic 5 uh, back around christmas time when it was like 10 15 degrees out um you know it I used the preconditioning, you know, and it, it charged at about 160 kilowatts, uh, which, you know, which was not bad. Um, and, you know, again, that was, uh, you know, there was a couple of other people at the charging station at the same time. Um, so, you know, it will charge slower when it's cold. That's mm-hmm. just, that's just the way, you know, unfortunately electricity and chargers work. Right. Um, but once, once they warm up, it should get better. Um, you know, unless you're charging at an EA station, in which case it, May just you know. stay slow all the time. <laughs> um, there, uh, Joel Fetter over at Green Car Reports did a piece about you know the uh, about this essentially. Yeah, and, I haven't had a chance to read that yeah. yet. I think it was just published today. Yeah, and one of the one of the, the the interesting things was that the actual charge the home chargers, if you have those outside, like some of them are rated like the, I think the Rivian is like it's rated for negative twenty two degrees. The Hummer EV home wall charger is negative twenty two degrees. Um, yeah, you know, and some of them are just rated for you know, negative 22. So if you're at negative 25, like negative 40, I lived in Kansas city for a while. It was negative 45 for like a month. It was just dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, that's, it's it, it, essentially like if you have that charger, that home charging, like box, that home charging station box outside, it's, you're, it's not, it's not rated to be out that cold. <laughs> and so if you live in a place where it gets really, really cold, uh, maybe you have to leave that in 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 the garage and then just run the cable out. Um, or if you you know park as long as you have a long enough cable. 
yeah as long as you have a long enough cable so yeah so yeah. there's there's there are instances where like just the the hardware the home hardware built to charge your vehicle if you get under like you know negative 30 degrees which again stupid dumb insane uh, <laughs> it was just so cold all the time well and you know and joel you know lives in minnesota and it was minus 20 when he had the lightning yeah but I think there's a certain amount of like buyer beware. If you if you do live in one of those places or you know, okay, I live somewhere where a huge chunk of the year it's going to be absolutely frigid cold. When you're buying an EV, look into what you're pay attention. Pay attention yeah. to what you're buying and look at the specifications of your specific charger. And if your charger's typically not going to handle the kind of weather that you're going to see a good chunk of the year, if it really just literally will not function, then you need to think about. Uh, can I put it somehow in an enclosed space? Can I do something? Can I put it in my garage or do something to keep it not quite so cold? And that's something, you know, that's, that's right. But like public chargers, the, the Tesla ones that are out there and the EA ones, the cold shouldn't be the deciding factor. It should just be whether the damn yeah. thing works or not. Not, it's not working today because it's cold. Just, is it working today? Period. The end. And it's a balmy 60 degrees. And can I get it to work? Yeah. Well, it, it, it reminds me of the old, uh, it, like my friends who lived in Utah, or they had car and their their uh, their diesel. <laughs> they had to have like a, I'm like, why is there a plug coming out of your your your, yes. your Volkswagen Golf? Yeah. And they're like, because it'll free. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're exactly. Like, oh, you have to plug it in so you can keep the engine where so you can start it up. I'm like, right. right. <laughs> I mean, when, you know, back you know, in the, back in the early '90s when I was in um, doing cold weather testing when I was working for Kelsey Hayes in northern Minnesota. Um, in International Falls, you know, when it was 40 below zero, you know, we had diesel trucks. And, you know, if you didn't plug those things in, you, you know, basically the, the diesel fuel turns into jello. Right. At that 40 below zero. So mm -hmm. you do have to have jello. a heater in there and, you know, or have, you know, have something in there to keep the, the fuel as well as the oil warm enough that it'll actually flow as a liquid. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just as a, you know, as a quick spoiler from, from Joel's story, and I'll have the link the, to the whole thing in the show notes. Uh, but it says, I'll get back to what happened with the charger on a cold morning. But if the video headlines screaming in all caps on the internet are to be believed, electric trucks, trucks don't work in the cold at all because they lose all their range. After a week of extreme cold weather testing of the F-150 Lightning, I'm here to tell you that's some grade A clickbait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He is right. He's 100% yeah. right. No, yeah, I mean, cars just breaking down. It was like negative, and just cars would be just broken down alongside the road. And I'm like, what is happening? Because I had my yeah, little they'd just be stopped. Yeah, it would just, just be like cars like everywhere. Just regular cars, like 1997. And I'm just driving around my, I'm like, why are these cars? And I would get to work. And I'm like, why are all these cars just sitting alongside the road? They're like, it's so cold. The cars just stop working. I'm like, no, <laughs> really? Because <laughs> I'd never lived in an area where it had gotten that cold. They're like, yeah, the cars just, just stop. I'm like, well, I haven't done anything to my little Honda Civic. And they're like, yeah, when well, you got a Honda Civic. So. <laughs> yeah, cold isn't great for anything. Extreme cold will mess everything up. I just hate the idea yeah. that. Except it's for like, popsicles. Except mm. for popsicles. They're really good for popsicles. But it's just, you know. But you really want a popsicle when it's, you know, 40 below zero? Well, I'm just saying it's good for popsicles. I'm not saying it's good I to might, eat them. <laughs> I might have gone to our local ice cream shop during a blizzard because I had a craving for Oreo ice cream and they were open. They were open. That's New England for you. Blizzard, yeah. snow. And it's like, hey, Hayward's is open. Let's go get an ice cream. <laughs> All right. Um, that's it for this week. I do have uh, uh, that I will add on to the end here. An interview I did in uh, at the Chicago Auto Show with Ted Kreider um, from Nissan. He's um, uh, I think marketing manager for EVs at Nissan. And uh, so I will put that on uh, right here after we say goodbye. 
and uh, see you next time. See ya. Bye. So, Ted, uh, what is your title? So, Senior Manager, EV Marketing and Sales, responsible for Aria and Leaf. Nissan has just recently launched the uh, the Aria, your second EV for North American market. Um, let's start off with that. Uh, how's how's that going so far? I mean, it's pretty limited sales so far, but how's how's that going as a to launch? So it's it's going well so far. Uh, we started sales for the front wheel drive trims in December, mm-hmm. uh, and as you probably are aware, we we did have a reservation program, uh, which was well received. We saw a lot of demand for that. And we're happy to be delivering those first cars to, to those reservationists as we uh, as we build up and ramp up production. The E-Force all-wheel drive models will go on sale in early 2023, so we're, we're getting close to that as well. And um, what what's been the the reaction of customers so far to the Aria? You know, it's obviously quite a bit different from from the Leaf uh, in a lot of ways. You know, obviously, a different form factor, but you know, Technologically, it's you know, significantly more advanced than the than the Leaf was. So what's what's been the overall response so far to it? So exactly. So with Leaf, we did offer a wide range of technology. Uh, we've continued to build on that with the Aria. It's in that mid-sized CUV segment. So you, you right in the heart of the the segment for in terms of size. Uh, very well received for our customers, both those who were uh, who were able to test drive it. Uh, some of our events that we did around the country as well as those first sales customers really uh, hit on those key design elements that our, our designers and engineers were focused on. From an exterior point of view, it's that timeless Japanese futurism. Uh, just keen attention to detail. So you see the ambient lighting when you, you're inside the car, uh, lighting that you know it gives, gives a warm and, and smooth feeling. And then you get the space as well. So with that battery uh, <clears throat> underneath, we have a flat floor uh, it's wide open for plenty of legroom in the front and the rear. We've pushed the HVAC uh, instruments up front for even additional legroom and space. And then we have that power center console uh, to really allow you to, to spread out. gives you that living room feel in those zero-gravity seats. Um, so far, you've got just the, the front-wheel drive ones in, in market. Uh, you're going to have the, the all-wheel drive dual-motor versions uh, in the next couple of months, I guess. Um, I think uh, I'm going to be driving driving it uh, next month, uh, in fact, in uh, Sonoma. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, what do you see as the, the probable mix between those two, uh, between front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive? So we're, we're, we're going to see something close to a 50-50 mix, uh, which we, we see on many other cars. Um, at this first model year 23, we've obviously started sales with the front-wheel drive, so the front-wheel drive gets a bit of a head start. Uh, but then as we ramp up the E-Force all-wheel drive production, we anticipate uh, great demand for both drivetrains. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, you know, obviously, ha- uh, you, know, you, you mentioned earlier, um, Leaf you know, has introduced a number of new technologies um, for Nissan to the U.S. market. I think it was either the first or one of the first models to offer ProPilot Assist. Mm-hmm. Um, this time around, you've got ProPilot version 2. Correct. Um, t- talk about that a little bit and... You know, um, what where what vehicles is that going to be available on the sort of trim levels and and the the technology that you're offering there? Yes. So great question. So with ProPilot Assist, um, that was well received on the Leaf. Uh, uh, we built on a long history of that, both from understanding customer demands. With ProPilot Assist 2.0, we get into that hands-off driving mode. So um, we're as customers continue to experience it, we've we've seen great reception for it. So um, once customers get behind the wheel, we've, we've 
taken, we talked about keen attention to detail, so we've done that inside the car as well. So when you get in that ProPilot Assist 2.0 mode, it's their steps its way up to that hands-free mode. So you start in white mode, which is just a regular cruise control. Then you go into green mode, which is similar to ProPilot Assist, which is hands-on autonomous driving. And then you go into blue mode. And when the, when you go into blue mode, not only do you get the, um, the notification that you're in ProPilot Assist 2.0 in your heads-up display, but your passengers also see that blue illuminated line in the, inside the car as well, so they feel that comfort level. That, That's a, that the across car, the top of the dashboard? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so we've used lighting cues all across the, the car so that the car kind of speaks back to you. Um, so it's, it's just that how much control do you want to give the car, and whatever you're comfortable with, that's fine. And once customers have experienced that, they've really come to like it because it does add for a more stress-free driving experience. So um, with, with that, does, uh, you know, when it's changing modes, like for example, if you're in hands-free mode and it needs to need you to put your hands back on the wheel, does that give you a visual cue there? So you'll see it go back to the green mode. It'll There'll be an audio cue as well that you know makes you alert you to the fact that we're leaving ProPilot Assist 2.0 blue mode. Um, and then it will step its way down as you leave. Uh, maybe it's a road condition or a driving condition that, that says, hey, you know, we need to put your hands back on the wheel. So you, you stair step down. You don't go right back into, oh, I have to drive the car. No, you go into put your hands on the steering wheel, and you're still in ProPilot Assist mode okay. where the car is still in an yeah, autonomous Yeah, that was, that was going to be my next question because I um, just last week I was talking with uh, Kelly Honkhauser from Consumer Reports mm-hmm. uh, about their recent uh, testing that they did with these um, level two type mm-hmm. systems, this lane centering systems. And one of the things that she brought up is some of the systems um, have that, you know, that, that more gradual, um, I don't want to say degradation, but a transition, <laughs> mode transition, um, where uh, you go from hands-free lane centering to hands-on lane centering. Um, and they specifically called out GM Super Cruise because it, it go, when you go from hands-free to hands-on, it's no longer lane centering, it's just right. lane keep assist, right. or you know, lane, lane departure assist. Um, and uh, so it sounds like uh, Nissan has specifically tried to make that more seamless, make that more seamless transition. It's a great word. I think the, the designers use that seamless integration throughout many design elements inside the car. So whether it's the technology uh, with ProPilot Assist 2.0, maybe it's technology with Nissan Connect, uh, Hey Alexa, or even Hey Nissan, where you can actually speak to the car and say, uh, set the temperature for 68 degrees. Uh, it's just that seamless integration into your driving experience and then your life at home as well with the Alexa integration. So you've got Alexa voice services built in? Correct. Um, and is the Aria the first Nissan model to get that? Yeah, hey Alexa. Yeah. I believe so. I think so. Yeah. But I would have to confirm, let let confirm us, that one. Let us confirm. Okay. I wanted to say yes, but I'm, I, we've had... Integration with Amazon before, yes. but I, I think it's maybe the first bit of Alexa. Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, one thing I'm curious, um, you know, uh, you mentioned, you know, so blue is hands off, green is hands on, which is um, kind of the opposite of GM Super Cruise, where blue is their their ready mode, and green is the system is active. Um, do you know? And and maybe this is outside of your purview, maybe more for the. Yeah, that seems maybe I should talk to Andy Christensen about this. Whether there's been any discussions you know, among automakers about standardizing the, the colors uh, for different modes uh, you know, for consistency, because you know, the reality is you know, some, you know, some people have multi-vehicle households, they might have multiple brands. And, you know, when you've got 
different colors, you know, mean, having different meanings uh, for similar functionality. Correct. Uh, can be challenging. So I can't speak to the greater industry aligning on that. That's, yeah. that's a little bit out of my purview. But I can say that there are multiple ways that Nissan in the Aria is communicating to you, the driver, as far as which mode you're in. So like I said, in that heads-up display, yes, it is is the blue uh, blue icon that you'll see. But you'll you'll clearly see the hands-off or hands-on in there as well. So um, there are other design elements to try to mitigate that and make sure that the the driver feels secure, comfortable, and whatever uh, in whatever drive mode they might be in. Yeah, and I think that's that's a, a key factor with these types of systems is to make it really unambiguous to the driver as to what mode it's in and Correct. what you should be doing. Because I know, for example, Ford's Blue Cruise on you know in the F one hundred and fifty. The, their their graphic design of the instrument cluster, it's not as obvious, you know, unless you look very closely, you know, as to what mode it's in, if you should be hands-on or hands-off. Um, and it, um, like like other systems like Blue Cruise and Super Cruise, this one is geofenced, right, to uh, to highway operation only? Correct. It, it's HD map. So, and you'll you'll see that on the the trims that we offer Propilot Assist 2.0. You'll see the double shark fins on the on the top of the car. That that also signifies. Or, you being used for the HD mapping. Okay. And um, do you know roughly how many miles of roads are included in North, across North America? I don't have yeah, the exact it's number. Actually, it's the same as HD maps. I want to. I get it here, but too. Okay. Yeah, and we we do have um, on our website uh, a map on the Nissan USA website, linked to the website itself. So you can yeah. go to nissanusa.com, get to the website that shows the map, so that you, as a customer, or if you're researching. Uh, can see what roads near you are HD mapped where Propilot Assist 2.0 is functioning. Okay. And um, that, uh, right now, is the system able to handle interchanges going from one highway to another? Will it stay active or do you have to take back control during that interchange? That will depend on how you're interchanging between the two highways. So okay. if, it, if it does meet all of the requirements, uh, then yes, you potentially could. I don't know if it's, cons- I don't know if I can say blanket, okay. you know, all, or I know it's not all, but yeah. I don't know how many. All right. All right. So let's, let's go back to the electrification side of this, because yeah. that's you know, kind of an important part of this vehicle. Um, the, uh, the range, uh, the, you know, the, the battery options that you've got on the Aria, what, what's, what's available to customers? So we've got two battery types, two drivetrains. So on the standard range battery, which is the 63 kilowatt battery, uh, that starts at around 205 miles of range, and then as you go up to the the 87 kilowatt battery, you can go up to 304 miles of range on the Venture Plus front-wheel drive trim. Uh, we also have a few other trims, the Evolve um, and Empower Plus trims, which will go 289 miles on the front-wheel drive extended okay. range battery. And um, for charging, I think one of the, the big changes, um, this one relative to the Leaf, uh, is the switch from Chatamo for DC fast charging to uh, CCS. Uh, and uh, what, what kind of charging speeds are, are available on the, uh, on the ARIA? So for the ARIA, we have 130, 130 kilowatt rate of charge, and that will go from 10% to 80% in about 35 to 40 minutes on a level 3 fast charger. What about for AC charging? What's uh, charging speeds that are supported for, for home charging or for AC charging? So, charging speed for AC. So, if you plug in um, overnight, I believe you go from 10 to full in about 12, about 12 hours. 12 hours. Yeah, so, is, uh, do you know, is it uh, 7.2 kilowatts, uh, 9.6? Uh, 
So it's the level two. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I don't have the specific kilowatts on the level two. I can okay. That. Yeah. So for the small battery, it's like ten and a half hours is our official spec. Then for the big battery, uh, okay. A couple. All right. So um, this seven point two kilowatt onboard charger. Seven point two. Okay. Um. So uh, the uh, I think you know one of the other big changes this time around is this, this shift from an air cooled battery pack to a liquid cooled pack. Um, do you expect that to help improve the, the durability and the lifespan of the pack? Um, you know. So over time, uh, you get less degradation of capacity? Yeah, so that is used for, for multiple reasons. One of those is exactly what you state right there, as well as optimizing the charge speed. So with that thermal control, optimizes the battery temperature for a uh, more efficient rate of charge and quick, um, quicker charge times when you're... Is, is there a preconditioning system built in there? So There is a preconditioning system in the head unit, so you click through to precondition the battery if you want needed to... If you know you're going to charge in 10, 20 minutes, you go in there, you precondition the battery, and it will help with the charge time. Okay. Um, and what uh, what what other things are, I guess, new or innovative on the Aria relative to say, some of the competitions out there? You know, when the Leaf came out, you know, it was the first modern mainstream consumer EV, um, and uh, you know now. The Aria is coming into a market where you've got, uh, got some competition from a lot of different brands uh, you know, in similar size vehicles, similar format vehicles. What's, what is it about the Aria that you think sets it apart from the competitors? So, great question, and I think you, you hit it on the head when you say we're right in the heart of the sweet spot of the segment in that mid-size SUV segment. Um, and what sets Aria apart, I think, is the full picture. So that, that seamless integration of all elements of the driving experience. When you enter the car, it's that space. So you talked about similar sized vehicles, um, front and rear legroom, better than Mach-E. So it's that comfort level when you get inside the car, all the way to the technology. So we offer that uh, intelligent rear view mirror. So we talked about the space. Not only do you have that additional space in the front and the rear, you've also got the intelligent rear view mirror with switch of a button. You can have uninterrupted view of, of what's behind you. I'm a big fan. And, and if you don't like it, then you can turn it off and you, you've got the standard rear view mirror as well. So it's that technology for every type of driver. That's what sets it apart. So um, we're really keying in on what customers want and understand that certain customers have certain comfort levels. We talked about it with Propilus's 2.0. Um, the integration with the, the Hey Nissan, so if you don't want to keep your hands on the wheel. And then we didn't talk about is the dual 12.3 inch screens and the 10 inch heads up display. So that's three displays. So that's a lot of screen space, but when, it, when this was designed, it was designed as horizontal screens. So you've got a concave screen in front of the driver, so that's like your curved TV for easy viewing. You've got the heads-up display right above that, and then you've got your center screen, which is convex, for ease of swiping with the touch screen, ease of swiping, and ease of, of visualizing what's on the screen as well. And the apps are, are positioned in a way that's very intuitive, similar to your smartphone, so you can keep your eyes on the road as you're navigating through those through those screens, or you can even use the voice technology with Hey Nissan if you want to keep your hands on the wheel. Okay. Um, for now, the Aria is built in Japan. Um, with the, uh, the the passage of the IRA last summer, um, you know, some manufacturers are reevaluating their, their production plans um, for you know, where where vehicles are going to be built. Um, 
do you see any likelihood of shifting some production of Aria to North America to enable it to be potentially eligible for some of the um, uh, clean vehicle credits? So I can't comment on any decisions being made, whether or not Aria will be moving production from Japan to the U.S., but what I can say is that Nissan is constantly evaluating the changing landscape um, in terms of the different government regulations that are being passed, as well as other opportunities that may be out there to take advantage of. But I can't say right now exactly definitively if, uh, if production will be moving. Okay. Well, for, for the time being, since it, since it is built in Japan, um, and given that it, it won't be eligible for the clean vehicle credits, are, are you seeing any pricing pressure uh, on this, you know, since you will know, have some competitors that, um, that will be eligible? Um, in, in the near term or, or currently, um, do you see, you know, is, is that going to be a challenge for Nissan? So we, we feel and we firmly feel that the Nissan Aria is priced very competitively in the market. Some of those competitors you referenced had been raising prices over the past year or so and they did drop the price. Nissan hasn't done that. Nissan has been priced competitively since we started reservations and we remain very competitive even today after those competitors dropped their prices. Yeah, and but some of those competitors, you know, are also going to be eligible for up to seventy five hundred dollars. You know, in most cases, probably just thirty seven fifty, but still, you know, potentially several thousand dollars of incentives, federal incentives, government incentives. Um, is that going to put some pressure on, on Nissan to uh, to maybe consider lowering the prices, you know, to, to match that level? We're we're always in the business of monitoring competitive pricing and making adjustments when necessary to, to make the, the pricing either more competitive, less competitive, whatever it may be. But right now we're seeing very good demand for the car, and we anticipate that strong demand to continue. How, um, how much capacity will you have available for the U.S. market? So can't comment on specific uh, production numbers today, okay. but uh, we, we do prioritize ARIA production. It's very important to us, and we're doing all we can to ensure that we have production that meets demand. Okay. Um, the other side of the uh, the EV story for Nissan, of course, is the Leaf still with us. Um, you know, it has seen some uh, some realignment of trims and, and pricing in the past year. Um, how's how's Leaf doing, and how long would you expect that car to? You know, is, is that something that you know is going to be with us for the long term? You know, we're we going to see a next generation of the Leaf, um, you know, or something like that. Um, staying in the Nissan lineup? So LEAF has been hugely important to Nissan. We've had great success over the past decade plus uh, selling LEAF. And even now as the EV TIV continues to increase, we're seeing even more increased demand for LEAF as well. It's our entry EV. Um, dealers are having, you know, they're selling the car as fast as they're arriving on dealer lots. So we're seeing great turn rates for, for LEAF and great demand. We are fully behind the LEAF nameplate. Uh, and, and for the foreseeable future, definitely see Leaf as part of the Nissan EV story. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, Nissan is you know one of the, the few brands that has stuck with smaller cars. Uh, you know, and had some had some success, and you've got some got some really good small car, you know, small small car products, uh, Versa, Sentra, uh, and even Altima that are are still selling pretty well. Um, I was just driving a Versa a few weeks ago, uh, right up until the moment that. Um, you know, blew out a tire in a pothole in Michigan. Uh, but, yeah, uh, no, no way. Well, the funny thing is, I was I was with one of my colleagues. We were going to a meeting, and you know, he he just commented on you know, the 
for for a cheap car, you know, this is a you know twenty thousand dollar car for an SR. Uh, portable. Let's yeah. not use the word cheap. Well, uh, yeah, well, portable. <laughs> Uh, you know, for for an affordable car, you know, it had really good ride quality. It handled rough roads really well. And literally ten seconds later, pop, <laughs> to pull over and on a mini spare. Well, I mean, you know, it happens. But um, yeah, do you do you see potentially you know the Leaf brand maybe migrating to um, to some other? And you mentioned you know the the value of the, the Leaf brand to Nissan. Do you see that? Transitioning, you know, to uh, you know, to some some other vehicle you know, that is electric, you know, introducing other lower cost, more affordable EVs. And is that something you want to keep in the lineup? An, an affordable EV? We definitely want to keep the affordable EV. As we transition, we've announced Ambition 2030. Uh, great time to talk about that. So that we'll see 40% of Nissan's lineup hold battery electric vehicles by 2030. So in North America it, or globally? That's for U.S. Okay. So with that, I think as we transition to that 40% number, we're going to see um, <clears throat> cars and vehicles in the lineup that, that really meet demand. So we don't get to 40% with, with one or two EVs. So the lineup will continue to electrify uh, as we get to 40%. So yes, the other 60% um, you know, will we'll be meeting the customer demand for both sides, whether it's ICE or EV customers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're talking so 40 percent of sales to be electrified over it. Sorry, 15, yes, 15 yes. new models. Right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. 40 percent of volume as yeah, 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 opposed yeah. to nameplates. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, so we should definitely be expecting more battery electric models in the Nissan lineup, probably presumably across a, a range of form factors and sizes and price points. Yes, and we've, with Ambition 2030, we've, we've announced that $500 million investment in the Canton plant, which will feature uh, another Nissan EV. Um, I believe we've said it's going to be a lower profile EV as well. Oh, okay. And what's the time frame for that investment? I believe we announced in the next... Yeah, we can start production by mid this second. Okay, that's where we're going to be around. Yeah. Um, so, any, anything else you can share about the, the larger Nissan electrification strategy? I think, uh, maybe, I guess maybe maybe an area you might be able to address. Um, you know, one of the big challenges for companies moving into EVs is charging infrastructure, um, you know, or the the absence of reliability among most of the charging infrastructure that is not. Uh, you know, Tesla branded right now. Correct. Um, what, what, if anything, is Nissan doing to try to address that for customers to you know, help customers have a better experience with charging? So that's a, that's a great point, and, and definitely with the infrastructure, Nissan has worked very, very diligently to ensure that our dealer staff at our EV certified dealers are fully trained on the benefits of EVs and also the driving behaviors that customers may see. So every customer is a little bit different, but on average, most customers will be using level two charging at their house 80% of the time. So 80% of your charging is done at home. So Nissan offers uh, with with a wall box uh, discount, when you, when you purchase an area, you get a wall box discount for Nissan for level two charging to be installed if you don't have that. So on top of that, with Aria, you get one year unlimited charging with EVgo. So for those times when you are on the road, maybe taking a road trip, you've got EVgo at your fingertips, so you're ready. You're ready to go. 
So I think it's number one, education, and then as that infrastructure continues to develop, we also have um, the largest level two and level three dealer fast charge dealer charging network. So with that EV certification, our dealers have installed multiple level two chargers and are now working to install level three chargers that Nissan Aria customers can can have at their fingertips as well. Is that something that Nissan is requiring of dealers to to install? To be, EV, to be EV certified, yes, you have to have, I believe it's between, depending on the size of the dealership, around four, uh, four level two chargers. Okay. And do you know roughly what percentage of Nissan's dealer network is EV certified today? So we have over 900 EV certified dealers, um, and we have a little over, how many dealers do we have total? Oh, I think it's just about 90. Yeah, well, roughly 90%. 90% that's good. I mean, you know, you've been selling Leafs for a long time now, so, you know, yeah. so it's always been a nationally available 50-state car, so. Yep. And that's what we've, we've got EV certified dealers uh, in Alaska and Hawaii as well. Okay. Speaking of, of education, um, you, know, this, one, you know, one of the conversations I've had quite frequently of late with, uh, with some journalists uh, is about, you know, the charging speeds you know, and what impacts charging speeds. Um, and, you know, it, it's not like with gas cars. You know, you, you pull up to a gas pump, and it doesn't matter if your tank is fumes or if it's 75% full. You know, the pump is going to pump gas at a certain number of gallons per minute regardless. It doesn't, doesn't matter. And, you know, it takes, it takes a few minutes. With the EVs, it's a lot more complicated. It depends on what your initial state of charge is, what the temperature is, the, temp- the ambient temperature, temperature the battery, and all, the, and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, are you working with your dealers to help them better understand the complexity of the EV charging, of EV charging, and enable to enable them to explain it to customers? You know, so the customers aren't getting frustrated, you know, when they, you know, if they pull up to uh, an EVgo charger with an Aria that's at 50% state of charge, um, it's probably not going to charge at 130 kilowatts. You know, it's probably going to charge maybe at 60 or 70 or something. You know. um, are, are, are you working with dealers to help them understand and to enable your customers to understand that better? Yes. So our, our training team has put together extensive material that addresses a lot of the items that you're mentioning there. So within that, yes, the, the EV certified dealers are taking those training courses to ensure that they're they're educated and able to speak to those different uh, different charging uh, requirements or how things different elements might change the charging experience. Uh, and then with the Aria at the 130 kilowatt rate of charge, uh, the designers work to optimize that and hold that steady steady rate as as well as possible when you compare the charge curves. Okay. Um, do you know roughly how long it'll stay, you know, assume, you know, ideal temperature conditions and everything, like, r- up to what state of charge will it maintain that 130? I don't have that one on uh, my head right now. How long it'll maintain yeah. it up to yeah. a certain point? I get the number struggle, but I, okay. no, I mean, I know it, it obviously tapers down. Yeah, I can, yeah, I know, I'm just curious, kind of, yeah, yeah exactly. in 130, you know, there, there's others that'll, that'll run at much higher speeds, but, you know, they, they'll taper down from, like, 40 or 50 percent or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and so, okay, that's the where you're going with the question. Yeah, yeah I think we do have that number. So it's it's between eighty and ninety percent, but it does maintain a very a very competitive rate yeah. of charge at that level that is safe for the battery with right. all of the thermal. Um, yeah, because that's always the challenge is you want to give the customer the fastest charging experience possible, but you don't want to damage the battery in correct. the process. Correct. Uh, and so it's finding that 
balance. And if you look at, I got, and I don't have the graphic with me, but like if you look at the charge curve compared to say others, many many are just very straight up at the very beginning, and then they taper off very quickly. Yeah, like you know, a so Tesla supercharger will will go up to 250 kilowatts, exactly. but it starts ramping down from I think about 25 or 30 yep. percent. You know, by the time you're at fifty percent, it's down to a hundred kilowatts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ari is and much more yeah. kind of straight. You, you've got the yeah. same slide in your head that I'm trying to envision. Yeah, I just yeah. can't remember yeah. the numbers on the on the graph. You know, again to the to the consumer experience, I think that's actually it's, if you can explain to consumers that yeah, you know, we don't peak as high, but we maintain that for a much longer period of time, so it's a much more consistent experience for customers. Yeah, right. I think consumers may just prefer that. You know, instead of you know having to you know try to you know get their vehicle their char- battery down as much as they can so they get that maximum state of charge. You know, right. it's, it's kind yeah, of, yeah, it's a big kind of a game that they yeah. Kind of and, and most yeah, most drivers. I mean, a lot of early adopters that are really into this stuff they like to play that game. You know, and, and figure out okay, what, you know, where do I get the, yeah where do I get the you know the the, the 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 shortest charging time you know for for a trip yeah. and you know if you can. If you just pull up and know that it's going to charge at a certain speed, you know, just like I said with the gas pump, you know it's going to fill at a certain rate, you know, and it doesn't really matter where your starting point is. That I think that's a better experience for customers. Right. All right. Um, anything else about Nissan's overall EV strategy that you want to share? We haven't talked about. Just Nissan's whole commitment to EVs, building on the building on the history from Leaf and listening to our customers. I think the. That's the, that's the key point right there is, is making sure that Nissan's EV strategy meets the customer demands um, and continues to evolve and grow as the EVTIV continues to evolve and grow as well. So when's, when's the Pathfinder EV going to run? <laughs> so I get a lot of questions about, you know, where, where can I get a three-row you know, EV, three-row SUV EV? My wife asked me the same questions, yeah. and I can't even answer that one for her. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks so much, Ted. It was great Thank to talk you. to you.